Good morning and welcome. I'm doing the scripture reading this morning. First, I want to just thank all those men that uh, and and uh, some ladies also participated in helping with some lunch and stuff like that and spreading the chips yesterday. Had a couple of tractors out there. It looks a whole lot better now than it did before. So thank you for all of you that have uh, woken up sore this morning from all that work. This morning's scripture is uh, John 17, verses 21 and 25 through 26. You can read it in your Bible or on the screens here. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We get to open the word together. If you're joining us, we're wrapping up our No Grow Go series through September, so Uh, Next week, we'll be back in Luke chapter 13. We left off in chapter 12. I'm excited to get back in there. But this chapter continues to be one you can just drink long and deep. This is Jesus' prayer for you. If you wonder what Jesus would pray about for you, it's all in here. And he keeps this circular reasoning. He keeps talking about knowing God and, and coming back to that. And so our vision... We, we said, hey, we want to be people that Jesus prayed for and that are known about what Jesus wanted us to be known for. Knowing God is salvation, experiencing that new life through knowing God and then growing in that relationship with God and others. And then the third part is going, that the world would know that Jesus was sent. And he says, look, I want them to have the same love. I want them to be full of our love and full of me. And that is what's going to propel them. That's what's going to send them. That's how the world is going to know that I am sent by you, Father, is how well the church does. Just a small thing, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And there's so many distractions. As we look at this, maybe you're going, okay, that's cool. And as we look at this prayer, he ends with the commitment level. He ends with your investment. And some of you may be more financially astute. You're more a number spreadsheet, you're like, dude, I just woke up this morning, looked at my 401ks, the Dow, how are we doing? And, and it wasn't until I got an iPhone that I was like, oh, there's a stock thing. I didn't know that was a, you could, you, can take, you could watch that, that's cool. People are freaking out when it goes down. I'm like, yeah, I guess going down isn't good unless you're playing golf. Which, like, I like when my score goes down. What are we committed to, though? And I think in our culture with commitment issues, that's one word we can use, but I, I want to use the word invested. I think as he's saying, he's like, man, I want us to invest in, in the church, God, and I want our love to be full of them, and so, and so then I can be in them, and then the church can be invested in us, in our mission. And, and really, as we think about this, and, and throughout the sermon, I looked, and, and there's this word that kind of snuck in there. I was like, all right, Holy Spirit, I'll use the word invest. As we define what a disciple is, someone who's a humble servant, committed to following Christ. I think that idea of commitment, investment, helps us out. When you think about your new car, 
what was, it was new to you, but it was severely used. You know, the first car you got, the junker, the clunker that, that went down the road, and you're excited to have it, but you weren't fully invested in it. It was just to get you from A to B and kind of get you into the new car you wanted. So when your friends were in that car, there was not even a question if you could eat in it. It's like, of course, who cares, you know? And, and maybe there's an old Taco Bell burrito in the glove box. If you didn't have that friend, maybe you were that friend, right? And, and then you save and you get into a season, maybe you get that new car and you're like, I, I have to select who can ride with me now. And I'm not even sure I'm going to allow certain people to breathe in this car, much less eat in it, right? And then if you have kids and you're in that season, you're like, how do I saran wrap them and just get them in and out <laughs> without making it messy or breaking stuff? It's a huge investment. You think about that and maybe you're like, no, I'm not really, I could care less about that. Well, maybe it's your sports team. You have a season ticket holder, season tickets too. You're invested in them now. I have a friend right now who's, who's stream, live streaming all of the football. He's like, dude, I'm in the hospital with my kid. I'm going to be on sports. I'm, I'm invested in my sports. And I'm like, yeah, you are. This word investment, that's a whole nother level for me. Like maybe sometime throughout the week, I'll get an update on scores, but whether it's sports teams, our cars, We're invested in something. It consumes our mind. It consumes our attitude. Maybe it is your 401k and the Roth IRA and your Bitcoin you bought into and you're like, man, what's happening? Every day there's craziness. PayPal announces if you say or do something we disagree with, we're gonna just take 2,500 bucks out of your account. And then everyone freaked out and they're like, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. And they pulled it back. That wrecks our emotions. Like for me, I'm like, who cares, whatever. But some people are like, are you kidding me? They're going to take money? Oh, we need to stop all this craziness. I open the Bible every week and I say, it's going to get crazier. We know that. And these are just signs to point us back to and to wake us up from, are we really invested in storing up things in this world that we care that much? And it should direct our eyes back to who's really in charge. And, And everything that's happening morally, We don't have enough time to talk about the craziness. Morally, economically, relationally, the world continues to fall apart. And more and more people are scared. More and more people in the church are like, freaked out, how'd this happen? When did this happen? It's, ah. Jesus said it would happen. He said, it's gonna get crazier. Even the people that I chose to believe in me, the elect, even they might be deceived. It's gonna be that crazy. And so my hope today is that we'd see the promise of God through the prayer of God for you. Let me say that again for someone maybe who's come in just broken, hurting, confused, trying to figure it out. I'm walking into church for the first time in a long time. And I'm, I'm trying to get some kind of peace, some kind of hope, some, something. And my hope is that we would see the promise of God through the prayer of God for you. Because everything else in this world are lies from the father of lies, Satan. And our flesh loves the world. And so we already have the cards stacked against us. And as we open God's word, it's hard to hear sometimes. And that's why I think Jesus breaks it down so simply that we would see the promise of God through the prayer of God for you. And the beauty as we get into it and we see Christ's prayer that would be full of love and full of him is that we would see ourselves as a daughter and a son, no longer an enemy of God, but adopted where we once were enemies Everything we said, thought, and did was against God. Now God said, no, you're my son and my daughter, and I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to heal that pain. I'm going to, I'm going to remove the shame. I'm going to take away all the sin, and in its place, I'm going to give you my perfect life, my righteousness. 
And it's this experience, that new life through Christ, by knowing God, growing in relationship with him and others through going out. Are you growing in that grace and truth every day? Is your primary investment to know God and then to make him known? Is that your primary investment? Do you wake up in the day going, man, yesterday was hard. I didn't get enough time in the word. I didn't spend enough time in prayer. Yesterday was tough. Or are you waking up going, man, yesterday was tough. The Dow, just my 401k investments. You're just frazzled. Or is your number one investment in God, in your relationship with God? Because Jesus said go. And you can't go unless you know him. And, and what do you, you don't understand going unless you know him and we follow Jesus and see how he went. And the third thing we're going to look at is, are we praying about going as Jesus did? Jesus didn't just go haphazardly. He wasn't always rushed in a hurry. He was slow, intentional, and he prayed about where he went. And so those are the three things we're going to look at as we wrap up John 17. Will you go? What do you not understand about going? Because if we're honest, we're still figuring that out. And are we praying about going as, as Jesus did? So first off, will you go? Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah, as we just got to experience an amazing worship set worshiping God through singing. Isaiah gets pulled up into the, the worship service in heaven. And he sees the angels flying around. One set of wings are flying. The other set is covering the eyes. The other set are covering the feet. And Isaiah's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. I don't know why I'm here. I shouldn't be here. What is going on? And an angel comes to him with a coal and says, look, I... Your sin's atoned for. And then God says, who's going to go and speak? And Isaiah, like Peter and like me, maybe some of you are like, I'll go. Let's go. I'll go tell people. Like, what? What is he supposed to say? Who's going to believe him? If he thought about it, which I don't usually do, I'm just like, cool, let's rush into it. I'm giving my son who was sick this week some medicine. He's like, dad, calm down. Slow down. You're so fast. You just rush us. I'm like, well, yeah, take the medicine. We got to go. Why am I going to like be slow at this? Think about that, though. Isaiah's just in this worship session in heaven. He's like, I'll go tell the world about you. Sure. Who's going to believe you? You're, you're a crazy person. What? He's like, I've seen God. When you know God, you can't help but tell people about God. That's how simple it is. And we overcomplicate it. And we look at others' gifts and we go, he speaks better than me or he talks way smoother. I'm not going to talk because he, he should just talk to everyone. Think That's crazy. No. Just Go. And tell people, and some other excuses maybe we have. Instead of just going, well, I need to know more. I, I get it. Isaiah got this unique experience. I didn't have it. You didn't have it. So I, I want to know more too. Maybe when it works in my schedule, we're all super busy. Got a lot of young families in here. You're like, I'm supposed to go? I'm supposed to serve? What, where does that fit in? How does, can you show me your schedule? I need, my schedule's packed. I don't know what to do, or even if I'm called. What, what if it's a different gifting I have? I'm still kind of waiting for God to, to send me the, the info there. And, and here's the reality, is Jesus prays. He prays in verse 21, or verse 21 of chapter 17, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for unity. 
Jesus is saying, as the church is one, full of God's love, because God is love, then the church would be one. So the first thing is we'd be full of God's love, then we'd be unified, and then we could glorify him as we share the gospel. So lovingly unified church will encourage each other, serve one another, and, and find out gifts and say, man, you're really good at teaching. You need to go share the gospel. You want to go pray? Go pray for people. Go serve people. And, and the unique thing Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4, I think he was meditating on this because Paul got to be discipled by Jesus for three years, and, and he talks to the church in Ephesus and says, you guys are supposed to be building up one another in love. It's one God one Savior, one Spirit, and you're all full of God's love, and you're unifying and serving one another and caring for one another. As you build them up, each one working in its own proper joint. At the end of chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So we're growing, once we know God, we're growing and it builds itself up in love. And that's where Jesus is saying, look, know God, be full of my love, be unified, and then you can go share the gospel. Now, I'll never forget when I was in middle school up at Hume Lake having fun, trying to figure out girls and puberty and sports, and, and all of a sudden the mission speaker gets up there and he's like, I don't even know if you guys can call, call yourself a Christian unless you go be a missionary. I was like, What? I didn't even think about this. What is this new thought? Like, am I even following Christ if I'm not in another country sharing Jesus? Like, how does that work? And so we sat in our little cabin, and even our leader was like, yeah, I don't know if that guy totally knows what he's talking about. We're like, yeah, I want to live my life and do my thing. I don't want to have to serve Christ. Like, what? Who does that? Who's going to go be a missionary their whole life? What a crazy kook. And I was like, I like the part where he grew up in Orange County and surfed all the time. But I don't like the part where he had to go live in Papua New Guinea, and he's like telling us we have to do that. Like, I don't think that's... And then the older I got, the more I realized he was speaking here, and we were down here. And there was a gap that wasn't on his bad so much as it was on ours. Because in the American church, it's like, come to Jesus. God loves you. We'll see you next week. But Jesus says the church has to be one. That's going to take a lot of work, because that means there's a lot of messed up sinners here who have to be saved, full of God's love, and then say, you know what? I need to love somebody. Who should I start with? Let's start in my family. Okay, let's start in my church. That's going to cost something. We don't know it all, but as we grow, we're going to serve one another. And the interesting thing is, is that's exactly what Jesus said. Before he left, he showed up in Matthew 28, and it said a lot of people still didn't believe, and he's like, hey, go tell the world about me. What? He just told unbelievers who are still figuring it out to go tell the world. In a mixed group, he's like, hey, you're supposed to go to the whole world and tell them everything I told you and tell them to obey it. Teach them to obey everything I commanded you. That's a huge, like, that's not like, hey, go hand them a track. That's tell them everything I told you. I, I gave sight to the blind, raised the dead, obeyed all of scripture, go do that. And they're like, all right. And they said, do it in Jerusalem. So do it in the North County. Do it in Judea. Do it in the Central Coast. Some of you are like, ah, slow. I don't know if I can get over the hill. I'll do North County. You know, not Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all of California, and then the ends of the earth. Are we really that excited to go do it? Because there's obviously those questions at the beginning. I don't know enough. I don't know if I'm called. Jesus didn't say anything about those questions. He said, I want them full of my love. 
and I want them unified, and then go share the gospel. It's that simple. And the beauty in Luke 24, I love Luke's picture. Before he left, he said, hey, let's have a meal together. Got people questioning if I'm real or not, if I'm alive. Some people have the, the love language of physical affection, so they just want some quality time, and they want to hug, but they don't really believe in me yet. And Jesus leaned into that moment, and he said, let's have a meal, let's talk, let's process, let's share stories, let's grow in knowing me, and then I'm going to leave, and God, we got to fill him with our love, and we got to unify him, because the enemy's going to try and divide. Constantly, the enemy's on the divide. And he, to help us understand this, this idea of investment, and the tension of this relational commitment and 100% investment in Jesus. Luke 12, Luke reminds us where we left off when we're going through Luke of the rich farmer. And, and Jesus says there's a guy that's, that had this huge crop. It was amazing this year, just was over in abundance. And he said, you know, I need to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones because it's all about me storing up things on this earth. Look at all this surplus. I got to make this decision. And so God calls that farmer a fool. He says, this night your life is demanded of you. This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This is how it will be for those who are storing up for themselves but aren't full of God's love and aren't pouring out into others. Simply put, in middle school, I was learning all about how I can store up for myself and my natural desires that aren't always bad, but if I'm so focused on my desires instead of God's, if I'm so focused on how I can store up for myself wealth, popularity, fame, experiences, money, ease, then I'm not looking to the needs of God's people. I was learning to store up, not pour out. I was not ready to go. I didn't yet know God's love and his heart for people. I just knew God's heart towards me. And I was like, sweet, it's about time God noticed me and loves me. But does God love my enemy? Uh-oh, that's going to cost me. Does God love the homeless person that I don't know how to talk to and engage in? Does God love, uh-oh, how do I do this? And all of a sudden, we see the next thing is what don't we understand about going? Because I love the beach. I love surfing. I spent so much of my time at the second point. We don't understand going because it's easy to keep it at arm's reach knowing it costs us. When I was in middle school, I loved the beach. and I'm, The guy that discipled me, our small group leader, would say, hey, after church, let's go to the beach. So I was always at church. Even if my family was sick, I was on my skateboard going to church because I knew after church was a ride to the beach. This is awesome. We spent the whole afternoon skimboarding, surfing, doing whatever. And this one afternoon, he's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to skimboard, but we're going to help this guy out. I'm like, all right, whatever. You said skimboard. So we're down there, and we ended up not really skimboarding, but instead fixing this dude's skimboards at our shop, like his business that rented skimboards to make him money. We volunteered our time to fix his skimboards. And I was so pumped just to be with Abel, my disciple, going, hey, we're at the beach, whatever we got to hurry up and finish because I don't think about how long things take sometimes, especially then. I was like, yeah, we'll fix some boards and then we'll skimboard for four hours. Really, we fixed boards for three hours and had like a half hour on the beach. So afterwards, I've, I reflect on that and I'm like, you know what? I'll never forget that afternoon. I spent so many afternoons at the beach and I don't remember a single one except that one. And I don't know if it was because my fingers had all the fiberglass splinters in them for like weeks because I didn't know like you should wear protective gloves when you work with fiberglass, or if it was really the look on that guy's face when he came out as a store owner going, who are you and who, why are you fixing my stuff? This has no benefit to you. This costs you not only your time, 
But for me, I was like, yeah, my time's valuable. I can't get a ride to the beach anytime I want. And I'm supposed to be 10 feet that way on the water, not at the burning hot asphalt fixing your stuff, dude. Pay for someone else to fix it. I was still growing. I didn't understand. I was still trying to store up for me. I didn't understand the beauty of pouring out into others and loving people. But it was through the breaking, the emptying. And it wasn't just that, that I became this amazing. No, it was multiple experiences, serving people, putting others' needs before my own, going, that guy may not understand Jesus. He may never turn to Jesus, but I was able to serve him and and meet a need he had, even as a middle schooler. Now, I don't know how well my patches held up. That's another thing. But it wasn't that. It was me showing up and being there. It was the meal, right? Like Jesus hung out with people that still didn't believe. He was like, all right, well, before I go to heaven, let's have a meal. I want story time. I want relational time. I'm going to disciple you. You may not have all your doctrines and theologies figured out, but I'm here for you. I may not know everything. I may not feel like I'm equipped enough to do the best job, but I'm here and I'm willing to use what God's given me. There's no great men and women of God. We have to stop believing that lie. There's only weak, feeble men and women who surrender to God and let him fill them with his glory and his love unify them in the church, and then go spread the gospel. That's it. That's why Jesus prays. These guys are a bunch of losers. These women have no clue how to control things until they surrender to me, and then I'll fill them with my love. I'll restore. I'll build them up. After they humble themselves, I'll lift them up for my glory and their good. So we we want to go once we spend years seeking to know God, and we have the knowledge of God that propels us to go and share, knowing full well most likely we'll be rejected or misunderstood, but we have his grace and mercy that we draw the strength from and the purpose every day. So we first need to know God as we're enthralled in his beauty, as we see in Isaiah 6, 8. Isaiah's like, I'll go. You're awesome. Who, who shouldn't know you? I need to tell everyone to know you. I don't really know how or what I'll say, but I know you'll, you'll figure that out for me. Saul similarly, he's knocked off his horse and Jesus is like, stop persecuting me. He's like, why are you persecuting me, Saul? He's like, what? Who are you? I'm Jesus. And then a couple days later, through the humility, the devastation, the breaking, the humbling of Saul, who was the guy, the know-it-all, ends up being blind and has to be prayed for to receive his sight. And then Jesus disciples him for three years and sends him out. He's committed now. He's fully invested in knowing Jesus. And he's constantly writing to the churches, know Jesus who, who lied to you? Who distracted you from knowing Jesus? Why is knowing Jesus not your priority? And why aren't you loving and preserving unity, committed to the purpose of making disciples? Matthew writes in Matthew 28, go into the whole world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the, the point is, that's what Jesus gives us to do, the task, but Jesus promises us, I'm going to be with you Always, even to the end of the age. He doesn't say, if you guys are good at this, he doesn't say, if you guys don't screw this up, he doesn't say, hey, you better not, you better not sin again. He says, I'm with you. It's all on me, and I, if you just will humble yourself and let me fill you with my love and let the unity that I have with the Father, Son, and Spirit, if you get into this, then you can go. But the, the hard part is, especially for me, I'm like, go, go where, serve where, love who, let's go, clothe them, feed them, let's get them Jesus right now. And Jesus is a lot more slower, and it's a lot harder. 
We see Philippians 2, Paul comments on this. And he, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.18 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul constantly is, is the same prayer that Jesus prayed. No, God, we got to make him known. We got to grow in this with people. Who's growing with me? Okay, when we are growing, people are going to see we're different. They're going to see how we're loving sacrificially. And in our world today, it's the same context that God's like, cool, Isaiah, go tell them about me. By the way, they're going to hear you and they're not going to understand. They're going to look at you and they're never going to see me. They're going to see these miracles and everything you prophesy and they're going to not believe. But go have fun in ministry. That's the beauty of the church. Jesus says, hey, go to the whole world. Like, great. And he's like, yeah, you're going to die because they hated me first. They're going to hate you. They're actually going to kill you. And the disciples were like, wonderful. The only way that's possible is if Jesus' prayer, his promise for you came true. They're full of God's love. And they lovingly served. And they pursued unity in the church because guaranteed, the, the interesting thing about our church is we're all primarily from North County. Like, and we're all here because God's drawn us here. And we have a lot of similarities. But yet there's so much division and ideas of how to do things different. And it's like, yes, we're the body. We have different joints and different personalities, different purposes, different callings, different giftings. It's no wonder why that it's easy to get isolated and start stepping out and doing your own thing. And when you do that, you're not serving, you're not loving, you're disunifying. And then the ultimate reality is we're not growing. And we're not known by our love. We're known by our selfishness. We're not giving because we're storing up what we think. We're storing up and not pouring into someone else. The, the most challenging image of this is Mark 14. The reality that the sinful woman, not religious, not invited to the party, literally drops in. And she interrupts everything and she has this bottle of expensive perfume and pours it on on Jesus, anoints him, honors him. She didn't store up for herself. She wasn't hoarding or, or putting aside for her. She was pouring out, honoring Jesus. And Judas, of, of course, criticizes her and is like, how could you do this? There's poor people. We should have sold it, got a bunch of money. And we know in hindsight, he's like, and I could have taken some off the top, but we needed it for the poor, self-righteous. We needed to do this good thing. And Jesus says, what she's done will be told around the whole world. And we're telling about her act today. Because it's a perfect example of not storing up for ourselves for security, going, man, what happens when a rainy day comes? What happens when I have to have my security savings? She's like, Jesus is here. I'm going to pour out and I'm going to anoint him with oil. God's created us to pour out, not to store up. When we stop longing to know God more and we stop serving like Jesus, we end up living our lives apart from God. Paul said in Philippians 3, he said, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, how much accomplishments, resource, money, time, talents, is nothing, it's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. Paul was the same language that Jesus prayed for. And do we invest our same time in knowing God? Because the hope, the prayer is that we would be known by our love, but the only way that's possible is if we know God who is love. And that's why Paul says, man, I've suffered so much 
and I'm trying to get everyone to know God, but I know nothing has any value apart from Christ because Christ is so valuable. I pray as Christ prayed for us to know God and your love for him would truly be that thing that propels you to go and share the gospel with others. And that's why Jesus said in verse 26, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So will we go? Second question, what do we not understand about going? It's loving. And are we praying about going as Jesus did? Are we praying about going as Jesus did? The church has great positions. We, we created this, it's kind of funny, last year we thought, okay, as a church, are we going to really try and reach people far from God and do things that we haven't done before? Let's do a harvest fest, invite families in, and, and, and this year we got more strategic. We said, let's do it on a Saturday, and maybe families would even be bold enough, comfortable enough after meeting us to come back on Sunday. And so that's, that's the whole intent. It wasn't like, oh, we don't want to do something. On, it's like if we do it Saturday, and then we've been kind of talking, hey, parents invest in costumes, kids love it, let's just inv- enjoy the environment, leave most of the things set up from Saturday to Sunday, come back for part two, because what kid's not excited to do part two and get dressed up again? But it's, that's nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's all about knowing Christ and, and being creative and saying, how do we love our community? How do we preserve unity and use the gifts and talents we have, but not burn us out. And say, okay, God, here's what you've called us to do. Because our heart is to reach people far from God. And be creative and do things we haven't done to reach those that we haven't reached yet. And we're praying about it. And say, okay, God, is this what you'd have us do? And as we offer opportunities for you to, to get involved and serve, the amazing thing, since I've been here the past couple years, there's amazingly gifted men and women here. And you've been severely hurt. In the, in the past couple of years, God's grown you, healed you, restored you. And so many people are like, we got to get the front yard. we got to get this done. we got to do this. It's like, I know, wait, we got, God's bringing the people. He's calling them here, but let's let them heal. We're a family. And so we, when they walk in the door, we want them to feel like they're at home. They're not like at a restaurant or at work and they got all this labor. And we, oh, here's your task. But like, hey, I want, I'm a family and the paint needs repainting. I, I know how to do that. I can help. Hey, I'm a family member, and we need to own the kids' ministry. I'm a spiritual leader in our home spiritually, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve in the kids' ministry. But the problem is the example of church is usually it's all in the pastor or the staff, and, and you just show up, warm the seat, maybe pray, but mostly give money, and that's it. And it's like, no, you have the gifts. You're the church. You're supposed to be working. It's our job to equip you, love you, put the word before you, guard theology, doctrine, but it's all about love, Jesus' prayer, being full of his love, preserving unity, and then preaching the gospel. We don't make disciples proclaiming and sharing who God is and what he's done in and through you. If you're not making disciples, proclaiming and sharing who God is and what he's done in and through you, if you're not doing that, you're going to be isolated and you're going to feel like I've never grown. The problem is you're not making a disciple or you're not being made into a disciple. If you're feeling like I'm not growing, I don't know what the next step is. It's not necessarily getting on a plane and going to Africa. Because when I hear the word go, I'm like, all right, well, Africa or Costa Rica? Like what has better waves? Who's furthest from the truth? Let's go get them. 
And, and it starts here. And it's going, okay, am I, am I being discipled? Like for years, I would call counselors or people. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm literally an idiot. Like I keep messing up relationships. Jenna's really smart and I'm, I'm hurting her. Like I need help. Can you help me? We meet a couple times. And now I'm in a season where people are like, hey, I just want to help you. I'm like, finally. But it took so much work to get people around me and to build a team of a counselor, a coach, someone that's gone before and can just hear and be like, dude, you're messing up. Don't do that. Do this. And to make sure I'm good because more and more people want to meet with me and I'm like, man, I'm pouring out all over the place. I'm so thankful God guarded my heart and my mind because I would burn out so fast if I didn't have people pouring into me. But first, it's God. It's always been God. And that's what, through that drought, God reminded me, it's not men. They'll help you, but it's me. You have to be poured into by me, and then you can pour out into others. As I heard this story, I wish it was isolated, but it, it's, it's more, more common than not. Where a woman drove into a parking lot, and this, this guest pastor was speaking at a church, and he walks out to greet people and meet the, the congregation, and and there's a greeter he was standing next to, and as this woman pulls in this parking lot in a, in a junker car, you know, it doesn't really fit the, the socioeconomic parking lot status of the cars in the parking lot. And he kind of saw it initially, and she gets out of the car, and, and he notices her outfit doesn't really match the socioeconomic, you know, outfits of the, the church congregation. And so she makes her way up the steps, and, and he goes to, to say hi to her, but the greeter just jets in front of him and interrupts and says, hey, what are you doing here? And it's that tone of, you're not welcome here. I don't know what you're thinking, but you need to turn around and leave. And she's like, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, because she sees the writing on the wall and reads the room and says, I'm sorry, I should never have been here. I gotta go. And, And he's like, yeah, it's probably best you do. And she turns around and leaves. And this guest pastor is just floored and tears are in his eyes, and, and I wish I could say I heard it from somebody, but I've experienced it time and time again. And a young woman that God used my wife and I to, to walk through stuff and healing and meet Jesus and invite her to church, and this same thing happened with the pastor. You can hide out in the back. What happened? What happened? When I invite people to my home, they never say the response they give when I invite them to church. Hey, you should come to my home. I can't. I'll be judged there. You should come over to my house. It'll be great. We'll have barbecue. We'll have the kids play. I don't know. You know, you're probably going to judge me. I don't know if I'll, I don't know. But when you say, you swap home out for church. Hey, you want to come to my church? Dude, I'll be judged. I'm not going to church. I don't have time. I don't, like we've invited so many other people into our home and there's never a pushback. But why when we swap out home for church, it's all of a sudden this, nope, they're going to judge me. I'm not welcome there. Because the church is not full of God's love, what Jesus prayed for. It's not unifying. It's divisive. And, and there's no gospel. And there's no, God, there's no good news. Why would I go there? I'm like, yeah, I, I wouldn't go to church either if I was you, actually. I would live my life however I want to live. And Jesus doesn't call anyone out. He's like, dude, sell all your stuff and follow me. Or keep all your stuff and keep the world. It's 100% either way. He's like, either give everything up the world has to offer and follow me and have a life, or not have a life and live in the world. But the reality is, when you invite a friend over to your home, they know you. They, they can expect the church has to be known by our love. 
And that's why Jesus prayed that they would be full of God's love and unified, and they would know that Jesus came from God, and he would continue to make it known. So are we storing up for ourselves? Are we so focused inwardly and having eyes only for us or our friends, especially when we're in a large gathering, right? You've seen it before. I think it's kind of this this crowd mentality, right? Where you knew growing up, you had that one friend, one-on-one, they're great. And then you get around a group of people and it's like wolves. Like who's going to devour the the other one first? And, And I'm like, maybe that's a part of it. Or maybe it's just the true human sinful nature where we get selfish we want to get our kids, get in the car and go. We're not going to go talk to people. We're not going to go get, and that's where I, I go back to. Before Jesus left, he did all the work. He rose again. Sin's paid for. What is he hanging around for? He's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get lunch with these guys before I go to heaven. I'm going to have a meal with them. I'm going to share a story with them. Some of them don't believe yet. He loved them. He wanted the unity to be represented. He wanted them to know yeah, that was who you were, but I'm making you new in me. You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And it's going to take time to fully grasp the identity. But let's preserve the unity and always have eyes for the outsider. Always have eyes for that woman or man that comes in the door and you see it on their face. You see it, man, they're not in a good way. And they're home. We should be like celebrating, going, oh, you came home, this is awesome. How can I help you get your kids checked in? How can I help you get here? Hey, do you need a meal? Can you come over for a meal? Like that should be the experience. Like, I know you're like, geez, pastor, that's a pretty high bar. Like, I got to clear every Sunday to invite new people. Yeah, you should. I don't know if it's feasible. My wife's like, Brandon, we didn't talk about that. I can't. I would love that. Because it challenges us. What are we storing up on earth? Are we so protective of our homes and our calendar that we don't let people in? Or are we pouring into other people? Because every time God gave them more was when they poured out. Think about that poor little boy who gave up his lunch. Like, dude, you try and take someone's lunch? That's what, you try and take a little boy's lunch? He's like, dude, are you kidding me? I'm hungry. There's over 5,000 people. I'm never going to see a crumb of that lunch again. But God gave them more. Imagine that. I had a story about fixing skimboards. That story, that boy probably was in church one day. Hey, let me tell you about my experience with Jesus. He stole my lunch. The disciples took my lunch. But it was Jesus, so I got more back. When you give, you can't outgive God. I mean, that principle keeps coming up over and over again. So as we think about what's next for us, what are we supposed to do to be full of God's love? Are we praying about going? It's are we invested in, generous with our time, with our talents? Are we freely giving? In, in Malachi, God says the whole time, he says, test me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the first time he says, only time he says, test me. It's the structure they had set up to financially care for the priests and all the the things that had to happen. They had a tenth as kind of the standard, says the Lord Almighty. And if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Now all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching us. And it's a hard thing to go, okay, 10%. I'll never forget that time I went from giving every time they'd pass the plate back in the day, and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? Like, and in my mind, again, this is how I think. I'm like, what if we did a reverse tithe, and you could reach in and grab the money if you needed it? Like, that's what we should do, right? Unfortunately, we don't pass the plate anymore, so we can't do that. I'm always like, how do we, like, text in a need, and then you could do a reverse tithe, and we'd, like, send you a text to get money instead of you texting in a gift? Could we do that? I don't know. 
But how I always gave was the plate would pass, and I just reached in my pocket, and whatever was in there was like, oh, okay, there you go, God. Good luck. And I'll never forget the gift of evangelism that I was unpacking one day because my, my boss I was working for, Tile, was like, wait a minute, you go to church. What if I just deducted 10% from your paycheck? And I was like, uh, I'm not smart enough to have this conversation right now, but uh, Jesus, like, how do, I get, how do I talk to you about God's love? And something came out and went like that. I said, look, I, I get it. You're, this is weird. Why do we give money? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't want 10% from you. He's not, okay, are you invested in God's kingdom? Where's my tent? He says, where's your heart? Or is it full of God's love? And if you're fully committed to God's love and what he's done for me, 10% is nothing. That's the least I could do. I wish I could do more. But I'm trying to be faithful with what God's given me and give him first and, and learn this discipline. And I thought I was, I was doing good. And then I met this couple and uh, talking about missions and getting prepped for missions. And, and they said, yeah, you got to pray for us. So I was like, oh, these poor old people, what's going on health-wise or family? And we need to up our giving to 50%. I was like, oh, we need a counselor. And they're crazy. Like, they have some mental issues. Like, it says in Malachi 10%. And they said, no, here's God's, I know it's crazy. Here's God's blessing on us. We're retired and we're giving more and more and more. And we, keep, we, we hope to get 60 and 70. We just want to give it away. And I was so challenged by that generosity and that commitment, 100%. And it, and it reminded me, man, it's about our heart. God doesn't care about the percentage. He doesn't need our money. The blessing and the reality for us is he can do more with us having 90% than we can do with 100% in our account. And I know your story is probably like mine, where you get behind us some payments or there's some debt and you're like, man, that tithe check could do some damage on that pay, paying off that credit card or that tithe check could do great work in my savings account for college or let's keep some of that. Are we storing up for us or are we pouring out into God's kingdom? And the beauty and the reality is God can do way more for us with that 90% in our bank account than the 100%. And you've seen it. The jobs start coming in. The clients start coming in. You don't do any advertising. You don't anymore, but God provides and he keeps providing. Are we invested in what God gives? Is his love in you flowing through you to pour and not store up for yourself? And so as we think about this, God is working and inviting you to join him. God's doing all the work. And so whether it's your finances or your time, your talents, you should be using those for God, but those talents are going to be given through your, your time and your treasure. And God's doing the work and he's inviting you to join him, saying, I want to, you to be full of love full of unity, share the gospel. It's going to cost you your time, your talents, your treasure. So last week we put up this wheel to remind you, where are you at? Are you someone that needs to be discipled or are you someone that should be discipling? There's a connect card or you could just text in the numbers in the bulletin. Let us know. We want to get you connected to growing as you know more about God so that you can go and share the love of God that he's filled you up with? Are we full of God and are constantly being refilled by God as we pour out into others? Maybe you're not growing because you're, you're looking at your budget and, and your schedule and going, I can't give, I can't give my time, I can't give my talents, I can't give my treasure. Maybe a better season will set up. I can't go sit with somebody I don't know, that's awkward. I can't go pour into somebody. I can't let someone know my darkest, deepest 
struggles and hurt. I can't grow. Jesus showed us it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you came from. He came to save you. That you would know him and be full of his love, unified in a church that cares for you, prays for you, supports you, not just spiritually but physically, with your physical needs. As we look at this now, this prayer for Jesus, prayer of Jesus for us, it's that we would get our eyes off of ourselves and what we're trying to store up and we look to him and his kingdom and see the needs around us and go, okay, I need to be discipled. I need someone to walk with me or I need to go walk with somebody else. And, and Paul told Timothy, hey, as the church grows, you're gonna need to find faithful women to disciple and, and, and guide and teach younger women. As, as the church grows, you're gonna need to find faithful men, both men and women who are known by their love and they'll teach the men will teach the men, women will teach the women. That's what we call youth ministry and kids ministry now. Like Paul's like, you need to have a kids and youth ministry. And you, the church is supposed to do that. You're supposed to pray and lead Timothy, get a bunch of elders around you to, to care and lead the church, get the deacons and the staff to, to run the church. And we're the church. It's not about our rules and doctrines and knowing the right things. It's if we're full of God's love and we're controlled by the Spirit, then together we'll, we'll walk in unity and build each other up. But the problem that's keeping us from that, we talked about today, is are we investing in our lives here? Are we storing up here? Or are we investing in our relationship with God and pouring into others and making disciples? So I want to give you time as, as believers, we reflect on what the Spirit's doing in our schedule, our money, our talents. How does God want to use that? Maybe God's saying, hey, you've stored up enough in this life. Let's start looking at pouring into others. Let's, let's get some people around you to process what that looks like. And maybe you're going, dude, I, I haven't taken communion in a long time. I, I don't know how this works. We're going to give you a couple minutes to, a minute to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then I'm going to come up and close this. And for those that are believers, we believe that Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave replaced our sin and shame with his perfect life that we can walk in that fullness of new life and that's why we talked about how do we love because God's love fills us not so we can store up his love for us but we could pour it out into others around us I'm going to give you a minute to, to pray and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and then I'll come up and, and close us